Jason, so good to see you. I had no idea you were here. It's awesome. And Maria just wanted me, and on behalf of Mark and Mason and the family, to thank you all for your prayers because um, she would not be here today. She'd probably be in Portland still if it if it wasn't for God moving. So we just praise God and glad you're here today. Um, and hi, Charlie. And I see Maureen here, but. Charlie's at home watching, I know, so if he, if he can get the computer to work. He can't reach the computer. Oh, he can't reach the computer? With his, you know, With his stick? So. Oh, with his, okay. Well, we all know Charlie is technologically challenged, <laughs> so he will watch this as a recording. Hello, Charlie. All right. Well, Advent is the season of waiting. As we've been talking about last week and this week, the second week of Advent, we are reminded by the gals this morning that it's a time of waiting, a time of hope. And the fact is that we wait in a world that is full of trouble. And the theme this morning is peace, and we live in a world that oftentimes is anything but peaceful. Um, in the late 1970s, if you're my age, you'll remember this because you lived through the 80s and it was, it was there in the 80s, but there was this TV commercial with a young working mom on the screen and it was put out in 1978, I think, when I was two years old and it lasted through the 80s because I remember it. And it's this young mom and she's bemoaning the traffic and the boss and the baby and the dog and then she says... You guys remember this one? Cal gone, take me away. You guys know that one? How many of you used Cal gone? Bubble baths, if you, Wayne, yeah, good job. Right, so all the stresses, all the stresses of life, right? The traffic, the boss, the baby, the dog, all these stresses of life at the end of a long day are pressing in on all of us. And we just wanna say, you know, flip a switch, hit the easy button, Cal gone, take me away, and then automatically, Miraculously, she's transported into this bubble bath out on the patio of what looks like an Italian villa. And life is good now, right? Life is good because she's got the right bubble bath going. And Calgon could apparently bring us peace and well-being. Uh, now, if you're a better person than I am, you probably never watched an episode of Seinfeld in your whole life. But if you're not, then you've watched them all. Um, <laughs> And you probably remember one of the, my favorite characters, played by Jerry Stiller, who's Ben Stiller's dad, Frank Costanza, right, who's George Costanza's dad. And Frank was always yelling, always yelling. And there's the episode where he, he's looking for inner peace, right, because he's always um, at, in conflict with somebody, usually his wife. And he's walking around angry. He's like, serenity now, serenity now. Do you guys remember this episode? Okay. <laughs> and it's not like he's like, you know, taking deep breaths and like, serenity now. It's like, serenity now, you know. And uh, there's, there's something about that, that, and the Calgon, take me away. There's something about those that tap into us because we all want peace. We live in a world where it just feels like stress is on us, like trouble is on us. And who, with all the trouble in the world, who wouldn't want Calgon to take them away? Or who wouldn't want serenity right now? Because make no mistake about it, there is trouble in the world, and it's trouble that greatly eclipses, I think, the traffic or the boss or the dog or the baby or whatever. There's 15-year-olds who take their guns to school and open fire on their classmates. 
like happened in Michigan this week, and four, this young man killed four of his schoolmates, wounded many others, and terrorized an entire community. There is trouble in the world. This week, the Supreme Court listened to oral arguments in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is a case which will bring, Lord willing, an overturning of the landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade case, the one that legalized abortion on demand in the U.S. And in the 48 years since Roe v. Wade was passed, somewhere in the neighborhood of 62 million babies have been murdered through abortion in the United States. There is trouble in the world. For two solid years, the COVID pandemic has wreaked havoc on this world. It's been responsible for over 5 million deaths, and it's cast untold economic and social and psychological damage. It's, it's, it's deepened, I think, rifts socioeconomically and politically in the nation and throughout our world. There is trouble in the world. And here's what Jesus says in the midst of all this. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn to John chapter 14. Because we're going we're gonna to get to Matthew chapter 5 this morning, I promise. But we're going to take the scenic route there. And we're going to go specifically through the book of John. In chapter 14, this is what Jesus says. There's trouble in the world. And Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Look down a few verses in chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus repeats himself. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Okay, so I just, I mean, I just dipped a, a little teaspoon into the troubles of the world there a minute ago. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And, and it's almost like we, come to him, we can come to him and say, really, Jesus, is that... Even realistic, are you not aware of what's happening? Are you not paying attention to all the trouble that's in the world? Are you not paying attention to the trouble in our nation? Are you not paying attention to the trouble in our community or at work or even in this room? Are you not paying attention to the trouble that's in my heart, Jesus? Do you want us to just bury our heads in the sand and ignore it all? But let me encourage you not to mishear Jesus here. Of all people, he is not unaware of all the trouble that's in the world. In fact, John chapter 14 is part of a, a monologue, really, a discourse of Jesus' last words before he went to be arrested, went on trial, was scourged, was forced to carry his own cross to the hill of his death, was crucified and was buried and he sat with his disciples and prepared them in these chapters, prepared them for the trouble that he knew was going to come their way. And not only that, he says, you're, you're going to be troubled because I'm going to die and I'm going to be gone. They're going to kill me. But you're also going to be, be troubled because it won't stop there. They'll come after you. And if they hated me, they'll hate you. And if they kill me, they're going to kill you and think that they're doing the will of God as they kill you in his name, all because of the simple fact that you have chosen to follow me. And he caps it off with these kind of less than encouraging words in chapter 16, verse 33. In the world, you will have 
tribulation. So Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He knows the world is full of trouble, and he knows that this trouble increases exponentially for those who choose to follow him. And trouble naturally gives birth to fear. Chapter 14, verse 27, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the fact is that the world brings trouble. If you're a follower of Jesus, the world will bring you trouble. Now, what's curious to me is that even as believers, we know that there's trouble, we see there's trouble, we live in the midst of trouble, and yet oftentimes we go to the world to find peace. We look to the ways of the world and the things of the world to find peace because the world will certainly, the world will certainly offer us peace. In, in verse 27 of chapter 14, Jesus says, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Which is another way of saying the world's going to offer you peace. The world's going to give you a pathway to peace. The world is going to try to lure you in with offers of peace, but I don't give peace in the same way. And so sometimes the, the issue isn't for us the troubles that we will face in this world, but oftentimes our issue is where we go to find peace. We're troubled by, by pandemics and by politics. We're, we're troubled by diseases and division. We're troubled by murder. We're troubled by morality. And none of these are new, and, and solutions abound from every quarter of the world. But how is it that Jesus' people oftentimes go anywhere but to Jesus to find peace? Because the only kind of peace that the world can offer is a false and temporary peace. The world offers a false and temporary inner peace or a psychological contentment that, that gives us what might make us feel better or make us happy or, or feel serenity now. And we'll pursue it. And we'll believe that if we could just have that serenity, if we could just have that inner peace, that, that, that we can't possibly survive without it and we'll do anything to get it. This is the kind of peace that Calgon promises you. For some of you, Mark Gaddy, it's a spa. For me, I can't afford a spa, so I just take a long shower at the end of the day. <laughs> peace. We want that serenity. We want that inner peace, psychological contentment. We want happiness. The world may also offer us a false and temporary freedom from conflict. And we live in an age of political divisiveness that happens by a kind of a harsh and judgmental separation from those we disagree with. Okay, so, so we're prone to surround ourselves by people who speak the same language, who, who think the same thoughts, and who agree with what we, we think. And the world tells us that the best way to deal with that conflict is to put anybody that disagrees with you way on the other side of a chasm and call them your enemies. To eliminate them through dehumanizing them. Or, or the world will tell us, eliminate them through war. Kill them. Get rid of them. Or on the other hand, many of us fake peace and, and seek for an end to conflict by just not even touching or talking about the things that actually divide us and the things that actually matter that we need to talk about. So the world offers a false and temporary peace through freedom from conflict. And then finally, I think the world may offer us a false and temporary provision of everything that our heart desires. That'll bring you peace. Money, possessions, security, 
comfort, relationships. And so the, the world tempts us to pursue our, pursue our own gratification, our, our own entitlement, our own pleasure at the expense of everything else. But Jesus offers us a better peace, a different kind of peace, a better kind of peace. That is not supposed to be up there yet. Don't read it. Listen. I'll read it in just a second. He says in John 14, 27, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He offers us his own peace. And the Hebrew word for peace, which Jesus, I know Jesus spoke Aramaic most likely, but he, he probably used the word for peace from the Hebrew, which is the word shalom. And shalom was often used as a greeting. It was often used like aloha in Hawaii as a farewell as well. But whenever someone would, would come and, or go, they would offer peace. They would offer shalom as a blessing, as a, as a gift. And so the, the peace that Jesus offers us when he says to us, my shalom I give to you, that the peace that he offers to us is, is something that comes from outside of ourselves. It's not something that we come up with or that we buy. It's a gift. It's given by Jesus. It's not something that we work to achieve or, or, or pay money for. It is something that is given. For Jesus, shalom was more than just a greeting as well. It's a word which really describes a fullness of life, a wholeness, completion, it describes relationships which are free from conflict and competition and marked by love and generosity and partnership. And shalom is the mark of Jesus' kingdom. Now you can read Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the increase of his government, of his kingdom, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We read this passage every Christmas, and it's a reminder that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. His kingdom, the kingdom that he brings, is a kingdom of peace. And the message of his kingdom, the message of this king that he puts in our mouths to share with this world is a message of peace. It's a message of shalom. It's the proclamation that God has actually looked upon his enemies and instead of approaching them with judgment and destroying them like they deserve, he forgives them, he redeems them, and he calls us friends. That's the gospel of peace. And therefore, Paul writes, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the peace that Jesus offers to us through his death and resurrection is most importantly a relational peace with God. Jesus has come to make peace between God and humanity. And the results of this are amazing. So you're still in John chapter 14, I trust. Here's what Jesus says. Is he says, I've, I've come, there's trouble, you're going to have trouble, but I'm giving you my peace. 
And here's what will be the result. He, repeat, he repeats this three times throughout. Whoops. All right, they're not there. Don't go to that slide yet either. It's my fault. Okay, here's what he promises. Verse, chapter 14, verse 13 of John. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That sounds like answered prayer to me. Jesus offers us his peace, and in chapter 15, verse 16, he says this, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Chapter 16, verse 23, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So three times in this discourse, Jesus says, not only I'll give you my peace, but I'm giving you my peace. I'm making you right with the Father and you can ask him anything you want and I will give it to you. Ask in my name and it will be done. Jesus connects peace with Prayer, And this is the connection I want you to see this morning. Between the peace that Jesus purchases for us on the one hand, and on the other hand, the gift of prayer. And here's the point. That Jesus gives us peace with his Father so that we can pray to our Father. You hear that? Jesus purchases, he gives us peace with his Father so that we can pray, so that we can access our Father in his throne room and come to him as sons and daughters, as his children, and make requests of him. It's a tremendous privilege. It's a tremendous reality. And as believers, we're given this access to the Father. We're equipped with the gift and the privilege of prayer. But even then... We're tempted to mess it up, which is now what finally, 15 minutes later, brings us to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus' teaching on prayer. It's a tremendous gift or tremendous privilege that he has won for us through peace with the Father. And yet there's at least two problems with our prayers that Jesus wants to warn us against. And the first one is this, that we think that for prayer to work, we must pray better. In order for prayer to work, we must pray better. Here's the example for those who make their prayers a performance for others. So Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, he says, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And for these hypocrites, if you will, prayer has become a performance. Not a performance for God, but a performance for everyone else who's watching them. And so Jesus calls them hypocrites because they've turned something that should be a relationship with God and made it about themselves. Hypocrites in Jesus' mind are people who think that prayer is about performing for others. But when we, we make prayer a performance, we undercut what prayer actually is, which is a conversation in relationship with God, our Father. And so Jesus' solution, what he does is he, he removes the audience. 
He says, if you're out there praying for people or, or praying to get glory or praying so that the people will think you're amazing, let's just take that other people out of the picture and make prayer what it really is. And to find the true nature of, of prayer, Jesus gives us this solution of secrecy. Verse 6, he says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You probably ask the question, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, does it really make a sound? Okay, discuss amongst yourselves. No, don't do that. It's a great question. Jesus is answering a similar question. If someone prays in secret and God is the only one who hears, does it still count as prayer? Silly question. It's a rhetorical question. Jesus answers it with the obvious reminder that prayer isn't a performance. It's a relationship. It's a conversation with our Father. And we pray. We go to our Father because we're at peace with him. Jesus has won that peace for us. And and we've been drawn into a loving relationship with our Father. We want to be with him. That's what prayer is about, is being with a, a Father who loves us and who we love and being in communion with him and relationship and conversation. And the reward that we will get, Jesus says, is not about our performance. The reward of prayer is God himself. He gives us himself in prayer. Now, I do have to make one caveat to all this because we have a weekly prayer meeting where we're gathering together, we're praying with each other. And I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, don't pray corporately. You can only pray by yourself. And if you don't, it's wrong. That's not what he's saying. There's plenty of instances where Jesus himself prays before others, where his people gather to pray throughout the New Testament. And so he's not negating the, the importance of corporate prayer together, God's children joining together and crying out to him. Rather, what Jesus is doing is focusing us in on the importance of this intimate relationship with God over all other things in prayer. The second problem with prayer is that we think that for prayer to work, we must pray more. Hypocrites think that we must pray better. And then we see in in verse 7 of chapter 6 what the Gentiles think. So here's the example for those who want to use their prayers as kind of a leverage with God. Verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And Jesus, in this teaching, to me, he recalls the story from 1 Kings chapter 18. You remember this story when Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, and he goes up to the mountain, and and he gives them the opportunity to call out to their God to see if Baal or Yahweh will be the God who reigns fire down from heaven. And as the prophets of Baal, this false god prayed, it says, it says that they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, Jesus uses the word Gentile when he teaches about about prayer here to talk about those who, like the prophets of the false god Baal, were outside of the community of believers. They didn't know the one true God. 
And they thought the way to access the divine favor, the way to access favors from heaven was to be as loud as you could, to build up walls of prayer, to put out as many words as you can, incantations, babbling, stammering, cutting yourselves, yelling, yelling, yelling to get God to listen to you. No one answered. No one paid attention. These are people who think that if they just make enough noise, God will have to listen to them. If you shout louder, if you talk more, if you're the squeaky wheel, then God will have to attend to you. God will have to give you what you want. The Greek word here, talking about building up prayers, refers to someone who has a stammer. Right? You're trying to talk, 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 talk. And it's, that's what their prayers would sound like, just repeated words over and over and over again. And like the Tower of Babel, what these prayers are trying to do is stack up word upon word and phrase upon phrase, prayer upon prayer, thinking that quantity matters. And the more we build it, the closer to God we'll get, the better chance that he will hear. And we fall into this prayer trap when we assume that God's answers to our prayers should be directly proportional to the amount of our prayers. So when God doesn't answer our prayers, we get angry. Because Look at all the time and work I put into praying for this, and it didn't even happen. What is he thinking? And so we get angry at God, or we, ta- we take him to task, or we turn on him, because he, he didn't answer our prayers, we turn away from him. Or when something bad happens... We carry guilt. I didn't pray enough for that person. How come I didn't put enough time in and pray? If I just prayed more, maybe this bad thing wouldn't have happened. But prayer is not some kind of utilitarian exercise where you put enough money into the machine and you get the outcome that you want. It's not a vending machine where you put your money in and you you serve up the right treat for the right cost. And Jesus' antidote to this kind of prayer is to place our trust in the character of our Father. Matthew 6, 8, don't be like them. Don't be like the Gentiles who stack up all these empty phrases. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so Jesus calls us when we pray to trust our Father, to trust his goodness, to trust his wisdom, to trust his perfect knowledge of us and our desires and our needs and our situation, and and to trust his concern for our people. Our father is a good father. This isn't to say, now this isn't to say that, that more prayer wouldn't be good for all of us, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying like, oh good, I don't have to pray very much now because God already knows. That's not the point. There's certainly a reward to be had with more time in conversation with our Father. But the reward that Jesus promises isn't a function. It's not tied directly to the amount of words we put into our prayer. It's tied directly to our Father's character. It's a good Father who gives good gifts to his children. You see, at the Tower of Babel, what mankind tried to do was to build a tower, to make their way to God by their own power. They wanted to stack stone upon stone and brick upon brick in order to reach the heavens with all of their ingenuity and with all of their skill. And in so doing, they wanted to make a name for themselves. 
But here's what God has done. When we try to build up a tower to him, in whatever way, maybe in prayer, we try to build up a tower to reach to God. He instead comes down from the heavens and he tears apart a curtain that separates us from God and gives us access into the throne room of our Father who loves us. We don't have to build towers anymore. Jesus has already removed the veil. We have access to a good Father through Jesus Christ. We're invited in. He says, come and be with me and pray. Don't do it for the sake of others and what they think of you. Don't do it because you think God will only hear you if you're loud and obnoxious. Do it because he loves you. He knows what you need before you ask him. See, God is the one who's done all the work so that we don't have to. And even though prayer is hard work, any relationship worth having, by the way, is hard work. It's not our work, but mainly Christ's that makes, well, it is Christ fully and completely that makes prayer possible and beneficial. So I want to conclude with this idea. As we talk about peace, as we talk about prayer, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And at the end of, day, of the day, prayer is really the vital connection between us and the peace that we so desperately seek. And Christ, Christ's work wins us both peace with God and the privilege of prayer. And because of this, and because we're citizens of God's kingdom, which is a kingdom of peace, then we should be people of peace. We should be people who bring peace in the midst of a troubled world. And we can offer peace even right now, today, this morning, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can make it a a priority regardless of what we believe about politics or viruses or vaccines or masks. We may disagree on those things, but the one thing we have in common is Jesus Christ, our peace. And we can speak and be at peace with each other and imitate Christ who laid down his life for us so that we could experience peace. We often want to resist, this is the brokenness in my own heart, resist showing love to those we think are wrong. But the fact is that we're all wrong. And Jesus is the only one who's right. And he laid down his life for us anyway. Here's what it should look like. The gals read it this morning, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called one body. We're called in one body. We're called to the peace of Christ. We're We're surrounded in this world as we go out of the walls, we go out of these doors of the church today and enter back into the world. We're surrounded by people who struggle to find peace, who want peace, and who look all over the place for peace. And as a child of the Father, you have access to the peace of God through prayer every single day. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.
And this is the peace that you can share with others. And I think the first way you share this with people you know, people you love, people you hate maybe, is by praying for them. Do you pray peace for your neighbors, for your loved ones, for your coworkers, for the world? Secondly, you can share peace with them by proclaiming and speaking to them the gospel of peace. That they too can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That there is a way to find the peace that they so long for, and it's in Jesus Christ. And then finally, I think we can share peace with others, with those who are troubled around us, by simply being present with people in their trouble as Jesus is present with us in our trouble. Jesus took on our trouble that we might have peace. And as his people, when we're present with others, when we take on their troubles as our own, when we just sit with them in their trouble, that they might find peace, that is a a way of loving them and helping them find peace. And I just want to end with these words from Jesus in John chapter 16. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Brothers and sisters, take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you and we're grateful that you are a God of peace, that you are a a God who has sent his son to make peace, to bring peace when there was nothing but warfare, division, conflict, and enmity. And you have come to your enemies to make them friends and to make them children, and we're grateful for that. Jesus, as you have laid down your life and taken on our trouble that we might find peace, we pray that you would also, through us, empower us to lay down our lives that we might bestow peace, give peace, help others find peace, that we might bring peace in relationship between us and our brothers and sisters, between us and our neighbors. God, we pray that you would draw us into the privilege of prayer. Jesus, we're thankful for you making a way and opening up a way into the throne room of your Father that we might climb up into his lap as children and speak and find peace, find comfort, find truth, find direction, find wisdom, and there find the character of our God who is all goodness, all love, all mercy, all grace, and all peace. We pray all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.